everybody. Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast. Again, talking with Upton Bell. This time we're going to chat about the divisional playoffs that are coming up this weekend. And in a couple of weeks, I hope to have Upton on again to look at the Super Bowl. Upton, of course, a former director of player personnel for the Baltimore Colts in the 1960s under the legendary Don Shula. He was also director of player personnel when the Colts won Super Bowl V and later was general manager of the New England Patriots. His father, Burt Bell, founded the Philadelphia Eagles and later was NFL commissioner. You can hear a lot of great historical stories from Upton on previous episodes of the Game Before the Money podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Michael. Remember to visit thegamebeforethemoney.com. Also, please remember that the Game Before the Money is a 501c3 nonprofit. Really appreciate all the donations. You can donate via PayPal on the website. And also, got some great interviews that I've recorded that will be coming up in future episodes, including with Randy Cross. That was a great interview. Hall of Famer Jerry Kramer. Hall of Famer Joe DeLamalier. A lot of great stuff coming up in future episodes of The Game Before the Money, so please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And now, here's Upton Bell discussing the divisional playoffs and what he saw during the wildcard round. Well, Upton, let, let's, uh, let, let's, gotta, let's get into the playoffs here and, and let's, let's get into uh, to what happened last week and what you think is going to happen this week. Um, and first of all, you know, you correctly predicted the fall of Miami uh, going back a couple of weeks ago. But um, what what do you think was the biggest surprise to you during the Super Wild Card weekend? And, and what can we look for this week for a surprise, perhaps? The absolutely dismantling of supposedly the best defense in the AFC, the Cleveland Browns. Oh, my God. I mean, it was Blitzkrieg, lightning warfare. The Houston Texans really, really poured it on. And, and you and I were talking about C.J. Stroud before the game. What, what did you see from him in his first playoff game? What I've seen all season long. Real poise, uh, an unmitigated uh, understanding as a rookie of what the game is really about. A cannon for an arm, the ability to run if he has to. But just a, what what's really impressed me about him, and particularly on Saturday, was his, I, I kept saying, his pocket awareness, his ability to see the open man, uh, and, and his ability then to throw the ball, I mean, essentially on a line. I mean, that, that was a missile that he threw for the first touchdown. But he continued it on. He... He just did sometimes you score quickly and and then uh, the rest of the game, as we saw in some of the other games, the second half is not quite as good. Josh Allen wasn't quite as good in the second half as he was in the first half, although he was pretty damn good. But, the, but there was an awareness there. Uh, the other thing is that surprised me is Houston's maturity. I mean, I love the coach as well as the quarterback. Ryan's. But the other surprising thing is 
what happened to Cleveland's defense? My God, uh, they they were dismantled, and it didn't help that the great story of the year, Walt Disney, was about to come in and be part of the quarterback situation with the Browns, and yet he throws two interceptions that really, I said, that's the game. That's a, in a playoff game. That's that's it. I might have looked at, I, I don't know who their backup quarterback was, but I might have looked at replacing him. Well, Joe because- Flacco had, had come in and done a great job when called upon. He's also a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Um, it was kind of surprising to see him turn the ball over like that. It was, but here's what I saw uh, from a defensive standpoint is the Houston defenders were flying to the ball. Uh, They're also putting pressure on him. Now, he is not, and which is you and I have talked about before, the big change in the game is uh, most of these young quarterbacks are RPOs. They, they can run pass option. They can escape the pocket. Flacco is strictly a pocket passer. He, he ain't escaping anything, including his age. So uh, he was a guy that could move out of there and, and I think tried to force the ball in because he probably has so much confidence in himself. But the other thing is his delivery isn't quite as quick. He's got the same strong arm he had years ago when he came in and that led them to the Super Bowl win, the Ravens. But I, I think they probably looked in the tapes during the week and said, you know, this guy's doesn't have a really fast delivery. We can get out there. We can get in front of it. That's the way I would have coached it. I would have pressured him and and been right on their receivers. And that's what they did. I, I, I said, after he threw the second interception, I said, get him the hell out of there. I don't care who you put in. Put Michael, put Michael Jackson in there. <laughs> because then it became too late after that. Well, what do you think of the Texans' chances against the Baltimore Ravens coming up this week? It'll be competitive, but I don't see it. Now, you're going to see two great young quarterbacks. I just think Baltimore has been around too long, been through too much, and and they have a quarterback who should be the MVP of the league. And even though they lost their tight end early in the year, I still think they have too much for Houston. I, th- I think Houston will be in the game because they have such a good quarterback. He's going to make – my game plan would be is make, make Baltimore chase me, have more rollouts, do more things immediately, quick strikes, try, try all the different type of things because you really have nothing to lose. It's in some ways – it's a pretty good matchup for Baltimore in other ways because of how good Stroud is. Uh, it's going to give them t- trouble. But and again, I just, see, I, I just see Jackson just too good uh, for them and, and too much. So You know, we hear a lot about coaches, and one coach that seems to not get talked about very much despite winning a Super Bowl is John Harbaugh. Well, he was almost fired, according to the owner, Steve Bashotti, uh, a while ago when he went five straight years of, you know, average to below average wins. 
And as you know, as we saw with Belichick, doesn't take long before the owner wants to fire you. But Bastiani stuck with him. Yes, I think he's a very underrated coach. I think he's a coach that players play for. Uh, what you have to do today, especially, back to, to just quickly how I see this weekend, I, I see Baltimore winning anywhere from 7 to 10 points. And, you know, Kansas City, you're talking about these situations where it's one it done. Kansas City, highly experienced in that their team leadership, offense and defensively, as well as Andy Reid. Boy, he's been in so many conference championship games between the Eagles and the Chiefs. They know how to win games like that. Now they're going on the road against Buffalo. Now they've, they've had some classic games against Buffalo at home. How do you think this game's going to play out at Buffalo? Well, if Buffalo plays their game, I think Buffalo could beat them by 10 or more points. And that's why they're there with a quarterback. Now, Mahomes is a great quarterback, already a Hall of Famer, who basically can scramble what he needs to. But I think the problem Kansas City faces, even though they have a really good defense, is a quarterback who runs as well as he throws, and he is really a weapon. He's 260 pounds. You're facing a guy who's really a running back when he needs to be, whether it's the quarterback sneak, whether it's design rollouts, whether it's a scramble, whether it's down on the goal line. You always have to have in your mind that this guy might run the football. Or when he lines up and lets you know that he's going to run the football, he's hard to stop. You know what he is? He's Derrick Henry playing quarterback. The guy I think of that he reminds me of a bit, especially when you talk about him like that, is uh, Randall Cunningham, pre-injury Randall Cunningham. And, and you just had to be there to see it. That guy was pretty unstoppable um, because you didn't know if he was going to throw or run. That's a lot like Josh Allen. They are comparable except in one way. Cunningham wasn't 250 pounds. He was big. (laughs) He was a tall dude, though. Yeah, he was a tall dude, and I saw his whole career, and I thought he was great. And, And as you said, until he got hurt. In fact, I remember going down and interviewing Buddy Ryan, one of his coaches at the Eagles, and and he just said in his kind of droll, he says, "Up, not just play defense and tell him do whatever you want, guys." I mean, that's that's what he was. But this guy, I told everybody, including the people here, you're wrong. Allen is not a dummy. Uh, he's going to be a good player. He has to learn when to throw and when not to throw. I mean, Belichick was ripping him too, and and I kept saying, "I'm telling you." This guy, once they harness uh, what he can do, he's going to be hard to, to really stop in, in many different ways. So if the game was in Kansas City, I would pick Kansas City. The game's in Buffalo. Now, they lost last year, surprisingly to me, to Cincinnati, and, and essentially it was snowing and everything else like that. Well, I think, again, this is a different Kansas City team. But if there's one team that has a chance to upset them, it's the Albert Einstein that coaches Andy Reid with his great robot, otherwise known as Patrick Mahomes. 
I think I give the coaching way, way to the Buffalo coach, way, way in, in the case of, of Andy Reid. They, they, as you say, they've been working together for a long time, but I still see I like Buffalo by seven. Here's a one time, you know, usually usually we're on the same page. My feeling has been I just can't pick against the Chiefs until they prove me wrong. And, and I just think, I, I think Kansas City is going to come away with the win. I think it's more than likely. Um, but, you know, Josh Allen, you know, again, we don't know when he's going to erupt for a huge game. And Buffalo's defense is formidable. Except for one thing, they lost a couple of players. But that's a sidebar to our discussion. But I've seen more, as I call them, card-offs this year than I've seen in a long time. Everybody is injured. Buffalo, I think, lost two more really good defenders, one in particular. Uh, So I don't know. I think Mahomes is going to have a good day. And as we saw Saturday night, Mahomes can play in any type of weather. And he, I was asked at the end uh, by one of the interviewers from NBC, or pardon me, Peacock. Um, <laughs> don't get me started on that. But she said, talk about the cold. You seem to be very effective through the ball very, very well. He said, it's football. I'm a football player. And that's what he is. That is exactly it. Yes. He, he is. That's why I was asked for my book. I said, well, what do the Colt players think about Unitas? In my opinion, one of the two greatest quarterbacks, he and Brady, of all time. And I said, the players said the way they looked at Unitas was he was a football player first and a quarterback second. I think of the same way about Patrick Mahomes. He's a football player. His, you know, his whole background, uh, his father, everything else like that. I admire somebody who is a football player first and whatever position they play, particularly quarterback second. So it's probably a, a, a probably a dead heat. It's a tough game okay. to call. Yeah. But I'm, I'm calling it for Buffalo and I'm basing it upon this time, learning the lessons of last year against Cincinnati. You can't go out there and screw off and expect that you know, you're going to put the cape on and win it in. And Cincinnati decimated them. And again, I'll remind you, I think, Michael, they lost two of their key defenders, or at least one. So we'll see what happens there. But I'm still saying it's Buffalo's game to lose, and I see them by seven. Moving into the NFC, you know, you had the Packers come out <laughs> shockingly building a 27 nothing lead at Dallas in that game now going up against the 49ers you know on paper Green Bay isn't as good as either of those teams but uh, what do you see uh, going into this week Green Bay at San Francisco I mean, yeah I'm gonna pick San Francisco but again what I love about about the NFL is that one game you're gone you have a bad day, and you're gone. Uh, that said, I just think San Francisco, I, I mean, I, I, I love what Green Bay was able to do, and I think Love became a real quarterback this past Sunday, and I, I think they showed real aggressiveness. I think they have good receivers. A lot of things that Green Bay did well, and I, I'm really impressed with Love. 
and I was impressed with the coaching. That said, unless something really happens bad to San Francisco, I can't see them losing. Uh, and I, I see them by seven to ten points. But again, you don't you don't know. I'm not in love with the San Francisco quarterback. Brock they Purdy. Have, Brock, Brock Purdy ain't Purdy. And so they have to be hitting on all cylinders, which they're capable of doing. Their running game, they have, uh, you know, Kittle, ter- a terrific tight end, Re- really devastating wide receivers slash running backs. They have got everything offensively, and they have the latest AKA genius and Shanahan. Defensively, they're tough. Uh, and I would say, of all the teams in the playoffs, both AFC and NFC, they have the greatest balance. Now, whether they'll fulfill you know, their, the, the, the dreams of everybody that, that they will go and finally win a Super Bowl with Shanahan, I don't know because there's that other history of them not quite doing it in the big games, although I will say with the Eagles last year, I mean, you lose to your quarterbacks and, and really Purdy goes out early and, and there goes your game plan and they were playing with one, one arm behind their back. So this year, there's no excuse. I see them by anywhere from 7 to 10, but I think Green Bay has now discovered that they can play with the top teams. And that, by the way, started on Thanksgiving Day when they went in Detroit and beat Detroit. I said, you know what? They're going to be better in the second half. They're going to be pretty good coming down the stretch. And they did. They they played pretty well. Uh, but I, I, I won't say I was shocked, but when I saw that opening drive by Green Bay against Dallas and then following it up, I said, Dallas is toast, and I am really impressed because I, I'm sure you felt the same way. I, I, I never expected that. I, I thought Dallas. I, I'm always looking for Dallas to choke, and they did uh, for me again. But I thought Dallas by seven to ten points. Wow. Yeah, it was surprising. You know, I am. I have been highly critical of Matt Lafleur, and I still will be. But. What I saw, what I thought going into that game, because I've been following the Packers since I was a child. So I've seen Jordan Love's whole career dating back to he started a game against Kansas City at Arrowhead and almost won that game a couple of years ago. Jordan Love, to me, he's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not Brett Favre, but he is so even keeled and so efficient. In his passing, he reminds me a lot of Phil Simms, who isn't going to wow people, but Phil Simms won a lot of games, and he won a lot of playoff games. And I, I went in looking at that game and comparing the two quarterbacks, and I said, you know, there's a chance that Jordan Love could outplay Dak Prescott. And that was, I was thinking, the Packers' best chance to win. I do think there's also a chance... And, and people will call us crazy. But I do think there's a chance Jordan Love might outplay Brock Purdy on Sunday. But we'll have to see. It's one thing to put together one great game in the playoffs. It's another thing to put them back two games in a row, especially on the road against better teams. Well, no, I, 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 agree. I agree with that. But by the way, 
I'm sure your audience will remember that classic uh, back and forth between Lamb and Dak Prescott. I'm saying, what the hell's going on here? Was Lamb not running the right routes? I mean, I, I look and I say, you know, they're in a championship game, and, and the quarterback and the receiver are arguing, or he was really getting on his ass. Very bizarre to see. Wow. Um, and Dak, Dak Prescott, I mean, they looked lost between each other. I don't know who was... I don't know what was going on, but the team as a whole looked lost. I mean, Micah Parsons was not as effective. Um, the Cowboys defensive line flat out was not as effective. And yeah, CD Lamb and Prescott, it was, it was really bizarre to see. I've seen a lot of bizarre things in my lifetime, but that I will tell you quickly, by the way, with the Packers. There is somebody, and, and I've, I've, said, I've recommended they talk to you since you are Mr. Game Before the Money. I got a call from a writer who's doing a book on the life of Curly Lambeau, and of course, I knew Lambeau. I, but after going to Bears camp and the Cardinals camp and out to L.A. and everything with my father, I had one of the strangest experiences of going to the Packers camp, and it was the first camp where Curly Lambeau well, I got to know a little bit. I mean, I was a kid, but the great coach, great player, and I mean, in all sorts of controversies and everything else like that, but certainly should be Lambeau Field, Hall of Fame, everything. But what a fascinating character. He actually bought with somebody else's money uh, th- this camp overlooking a lake that were all motel rooms. <laughs> and I, I think he was being investigated by the Packers board or whatever it was at that time because they had no owner. It was owned by the, the, the city. But, boy, what a character. Yeah, that was the Rockwood Lodge, probably, yes. where, where they had training camp sometimes. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I was staying in, mo- in a motel room with my father. <laughs> this guy is really fascinating guy. He reminded me, if I look back on it now, all these years later, this was 1947. I looked back and I said, I know, I know, I know if it was today, he would be selling something on television. But I said, because I was so used to going all the, being in my father's training camp, going to Bears training camp, doing, going all these training camps. And this felt unlike a training camp. I felt like I, I was staying at a, you know, a Motel 8. I mean, it was really something. I mean, so many great memories about the times that I had didn't even make it to my book. But anyway, I think Purdy, they have got insurance against Purdy screwing up, I think. And that's because they have such a great offense. Well, Well, Christian McCaffrey, he could turn that game into a route by himself. Well, that's that's it. I I have a feeling they will come out in the beginning, especially... Just try and ram it down their throat with their running game with McCaffrey. But so we'll say seven to ten points. But I think Green Bay, uh, unless they get behind a lot early, I think Green Bay will make somewhat of a game of it. But I like I like the 49ers from seven to ten points. Now, for a long time that, that they've had the bye week, there, there have been, I would say, probably three out of four years, one of the teams with the bye week, comes out a little bit flat, doesn't play that well. 
in the first half. Do you see either the Ravens or 49ers falling to that, or or do you see them coming out firing on all cylinders? I I bet more in the Ravens because they're kind of blue collar, blue collar town, blue collar coach. Uh, I I think the Ravens will want to come out and kill you. 49ers, you never know because they're they're such a high machine. You don't know of, of what can happen. I you know again. I think once you get into the postseason, I'm a great believer that every, everybody should play. Used to be two. You know there would be two teams to get a first round by. That's how the Patriots always, because they were in a lousy division. How they would always get to the Super Bowl. Or in the finals, I believe when you get to the playoffs, yeah, you you got to make some type of concession to the top teams, especially for TV. But as far as a football team is concerned, I don't believe in layoffs. Yeah, it, it does slow teams down sometimes. So what does? Uh, what what I do believe is I'm on the other end. I believe 17 games are way too many. I agree. 16 was enough. I think guys are exhausted and hurt by the end. And as a result, the fan is robbed by, and the team is robbed by a lot of players who have already been injured and gone for the year. And I think it's going to get worse and worse, particularly having to play on a Thursday. But I've got to figure out a better way, and maybe there is no better way to reward teams who finish first. But that's the other thing. Seven teams, Michael, in each conference? makes it that's half that's half of your league yeah and and that that's that's a good segue into uh tampa bay at detroit some people will say they were surprised to see the buccaneers win like that how surprised were you to see uh tampa bay win and the eagles season just go down as they've been in that slide lately one up because I've seen every one of their games. I could see them starting to go down slowly but surely. I understand from my contacts in Philly that there were problems in the locker room. There was problems with the coaching. They had to replace their offensive and defensive coordinators who both got jobs this year. Sirianni, uh, maybe not as loved as he was in the past. Now you got to remember, it always goes back to the owner. Jeffrey Lurie is somebody I wouldn't want to work for. And and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he fired Sirianni. He shouldn't, but I could see slowly but surely. And again, you don't know how many injuries they really have because teams find ways to hide injuries. But I particularly think the quarterback's been injured all year long. Uh, and, and I don't think he's been the same. But look, look what happened. Where where do you see a situation where your defensive coordinator, who you've just hired, you replace with Matt Patricia, and he doesn't do any better? I picked the Eagles last night. That's one of the few bad picks I made, but I didn't figure them to quit. But how about Tampa? I mean, I, you know, they were... That the was the there. surprise, and, and especially Baker Mayfield. <laughs> You know, not a guy that that was on anybody's radar this year, really. No, he made a great comeback, had a great night last night. But ask yourself, how many teams has he been with? And he was every place. And last night, all you need is one game. He got hot. The Eagles' defense played like crap. 
and their offense was going nowhere. But they looked to me, and I'm trying to get reports from friends of mine in Philly today, they looked to me like they weren't interested in showing up. How the hell can you do that when it's a playoff game? I do think you see over the years... Sometimes and it may have it may have happened to the Bengals this year. It may it, it may happen to the Bills soon, where all these longer seasons are going to add up, and some younger, fresher teams are going to end up doing better. There's no question, to me, that that the season was long enough at 16 uh, that the Thursday night football really has hurt a lot of teams. Now they're playing in London. Pretty soon they'll be playing at the Great Wall of China. See, uh, to me, the, the owners could care less. This this is just replaceable flesh to them that, you, you know, we can always throw somebody else in. Our, all, our, all our franchises are worth billions of dollars, no matter how much we stink. We want to play every everything. What's Roger Goodell's biggest thing? And that's why you saw the Peacock ripoff. Even though they got 23 million suckers, including me, to watch Sunday night or Saturday night, is that he said we want to grow uh, the product to $25 billion. He never said we want to make the football better. He just said we want to grow the product to $25 billion. That's for the owners. The players, yes, are making much more money now, but they still don't have totally guaranteed contracts. They've got to replay, play on a Thursday. They've got to face injury. I mean, there's so many positives for the owners who keep making the money and so many negatives for the players because you can be making $5 million one year and next year out of a job. Before we were talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Baker Mayfield, the resurgence of him. What about Jared Goff? Uh, uh, he'll, He'll be facing off against the Lions and quarterback by Jared Goff. Jared Goff led... The Rams to Super Bowl and gets traded to Detroit. It's kind of an afterthought after Stafford leads the Rams to a Super Bowl victory. And then Goff wins at home against the Stafford quarterback Rams team. And uh, Jared Goff has played quietly some very good football as well this year. He, to me, still is not a franchise quarterback. But but what they have done so well there and the all. You know, their offensive and defensive coordinators are going to be hired by somebody is that they've surrounded him with a good offense, a really good running game, a, a terrific offensive line. They're pretty good defensively, and they've got one, the perfect coach for him. You know, kind of the blue-collar, tough guy, loves it, loves his team. Uh, he, uh, and and his, his coach uh, turned around and hired uh, somebody to run the offense and somebody to run the defense, and then he can spend his time barking at officials and and uh, getting his team going. I he, I mean I I think he's I think he's a, a real leader, uh, and I think they have empowered Goff because I don't think Goff has the greatest of physical ability, uh, but he seems to have a lot more confidence. Although ironically, the Rams could have very easily. Well, Stafford won that game. I think Stafford is the the much more talented quarterback than Goff. But Goff is perfect for this team. I, by the way, think the Lions will blow Tampa out of the water. 
Okay, yeah, that's what we were getting to, and and so uh, so you think you think Detroit's going to win pretty soundly? What leads you to think that? If they play their game, I just think Tampa's done a great job uh, with Mayfield, and I and I they have pretty damn good receivers, and they have a decent running back. I think they've they've done a terrific job, although they're not in a very good division. But I just think Detroit has too much talent. And I think they're really well coached. And, you know, Tampa has to play them at home. If you haven't won anything in 32 years, those fans, you won't be able to hear yourself at that place. And I do think to a degree, even though they're pros, it counts. When you're playing at home and you're, you're playing really the, essentially the lowest seed, and you got everything going for you, and your your coach is a great cheerleader. I say them by ten points. Plus, you got a Michigan kid who is the leader of that defense in Hutchison, and um, he's done a tremendous job as well. He came up with a a couple of big sacks against the Rams too. He he's looking like like one of the bright young defensive stars in the NFL right now. Listen, I thought. When they hired Dan Campbell, I said, they just hired a screamer. Oh, my God. But, boy, he proved me wrong because I, I think he – the biggest thing today a head coach can do, and I, I lean more towards offensive coaches and defensive coaches, but there are some still out there. But the biggest thing that he needs to do is he needs, particularly with the way the game has changed, to hire a really good young offensive coordinator. And and uh, and he's done both. He is an offensive and defensive coordinator, and and he set it up so he's the lead guy. But they they're the ones that do the day to day work, and that's what you need now. You you a head coach is so different today than what he was years ago. Today you're a manager. Then you did it all. Now we've got eight teams left. You gave your predictions. For this week, Baltimore, Buffalo, San Francisco, Detroit. Is there any one of those teams that you see as a front runner for the Super Bowl championship, or is it still up in the air? I think it's San Francisco and and Baltimore. That's my picks and have been for quite a while for the Super Bowl. Yeah, we were talking about the Ravens back a couple of weeks ago and both liking them. It's still really tough for me personally to, to pick against Kansas City, um, just with the Mahomes factor. It's understandable. And I think if, if Buffalo advances, it's going to be a real struggle. I mean, I could see Buffalo beating Baltimore. The great thing about it, when you get down to it, right back to my first opinion of all the playoffs is, again, anything can happen. It's one game. And so, therefore, somebody can break a leg. Somebody has a bad day. Uh, all of that, you, you've got to factor into it. But if you look at it right now, if Buffalo wins, they've got to go to Baltimore. People say home field advantage doesn't count anymore. I, I don't buy that. I think it's less, but I don't buy that. I wouldn't want to go into Baltimore, and I wouldn't want to go into Buffalo and and I wouldn't want to go into Kansas City. There's certain places I don't want to go into. San Francisco, absolutely. Laissez-faire. 
Hello. Hello, Dolly, San Francisco. <laughs> I, I know it's a beautiful uh, new stadium. It does nothing for me. The crowd does nothing for me. You know, I figure after the game, they're going to go back into San Francisco and, and have their wine and cheese at some place. So <laughs> uh, that's, that's a completely different crowd than the ones that used to go to Kizar Stadium and these other places. Candlestick. Oh, yeah. Candlestick. You know, that, that was a different thing. I, I can remember... When, when we had our championship teams of the Colts and we go play at Kizar Stadium and it was like a mob outside looking to take your wallet and everything else like that. But they were real fans. I mean, O.J. Simpson used to hang around there as a kid. So it's a completely different thing out there now. You don't have that city vibe, but Baltimore is blue collar. Buffalo is blue collar. Detroit, definitely blue collar. Show me the places like that. They have a good team. Really, the Patriots in many ways. I mean, I opened the old stadium down there. It's in the middle of nowhere. And the people that come down there, are, are, are there are a lot of blue-collar people. They have their boxes and all the other crap. There are a lot of blue-collar people that still go to those Patriots games. Show me those places, and I'll show you a slight advantage in the playoffs. All right, Upton. Well, we'll hopefully talk uh, before the Super Bowl and get your pick for that. And we'll talk again real soon. How does that sound? That's great, Michael. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Game Before the Money podcast. Please visit thegamebeforethemoney.com. Transcriptions of some podcasts are available on thegamebeforethemoney.com and are powered by our transcription partner, Sonics, S-O-N-I-X. Visit sonics.ai to learn more about their automated transcription services. 